Hello, and welcome to Wise Children's Detention with me, Emma Rice. So I'm going to paint you a little picture here. We are in Simon Baker's studio. I am up here. We share a house, so I'm often up here, but not usually in his special seat, which I am today. And we also have Poppy Keeling, the executive producer of Wise Children with us, who is with us working today, but at a social distance. So she is sat a very safe three metres away, but with a microphone. Hi, Poppy. Hi, Emma. And hi, Simon. Hi, Emma. I love this bit because Simon hates being behind a microphone. Yep. (laughs) Why are we doing this? (laughs) Good question. So, so most of you will know that a few weeks ago we did a live broadcast of our musical Romantics Anonymous. And it was live broadcast from the Bristol Old Vic. And it was a huge success. There's a few sort of qualifications around that, which we'll get into. But in terms of trying something completely new um, and brazen and untested we had a plan we pushed it through really fast and with only a few minor hitches um, we pulled it off and we were going to make I thought I should make a podcast but it was so busy I don't think I've been as busy for decades that there was literally no time so this is me making up a little bit of ground and um, going back over what we did to make what happened possible. So I'm going to kick off because this is all down to you, isn't it, Simon? It does feel that it was my fault, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, what happened was Simon is an associate artist at the Old Vic Theatre in London and you had been working on a show which was live. Tell us about the show. Uh, well, the show we were working on um in fact it happened a little bit before do you remember when we got back from keswick and i said we should do some podcasts and broadcast them online ah yes so it actually it sort of started there and i so i we, we did these i'm gonna little, stop um, you here si. so we right. got back from keswick for those of you that have been listening which was when mallory towers was about to reopen in keswick in march and that was when lockdown happened and simon and i drove the length and breadth of the country to come home and yeah you said let's start doing some filmed podcasts yeah on the way back i thought we should do we should put the podcasts on youtube or something we should film you doing them and put bits of clips of the shows in that we should be doing um and that was really early that was it was the very very start of lockdown i think the first or second week um and i think that led to matthew watches at the old vic had an idea that he wanted to put lungs which was the two-hander we'd done with um matt smith and claire foy much earlier in the year and it was supposed to have gone to uh, BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music, on tour. And that was cancelled around about the same time we were cancelled with Romantics going to Spoleto and everywhere else it was going in North America. Um, so he asked me, did I know how to get how to stream a show over whatever streaming platform we were going to use? And I said, yes, we've just sort of done it with Emma's podcast. And then that started the conversation. And we started talking about how we might get lungs live streamed from the old Vic. So with lots of bits and pieces we bought from Amazon or rented from various rental companies, we managed to get um, the old Vic streaming via Zoom because Matthew was very keen that we use the current communication tool. He wants to put his show out via Zoom. And we worked that out. And I watched that. And it was it was kind of great because I got to sit at home and do it rather than 
going all the way to the old Vic. It was so completely I, digital, wasn't it? Yeah, you were sat here. Digital. But I, I need to take you back a little bit because right. I just want to reiterate, because I, I was here as a sort of observer, is that what started off with you, your son, Reese, yeah, who was 17 at the time, running a few cables from our kitchen into our dining room uh, yeah. and then shutting me in a cupboard. Yeah. And... That was all part of it. it wasn't that just was a... part of it, yeah. And us broadcasting these yeah. small podcasts. In one leap and a few short weeks, you were live broadcasting over Zoom, Claire Foy and Matt Smith. Yeah, when you put it like that, it seems more extraordinary, doesn't it? It, it is extraordinary. I think everything was moving so slowly at the time, but yeah. also so fast. And certainly in your brain... I feel like you were beginning to piece together processes so fast. And I mean, you were like a nutty professor by this point, is I didn't see much of you. Mm. You were fiddling around with different bits. As you say, we had Amazon orders every day with new bits of domestic technology. So before you tell us about Zoom, tell us about what you were doing. What were these things coming through the post? Well, the thing... um, Reese, who's my youngest son, uh, was obsessed with watching those YouTubers who are, it's a new genre of telly. Kids don't tend to watch telly more. They tend to watch YouTube and they watch it in very specific chunks and often have it on in the background, a bit like we would have had the radio on when we were kids. It was just on in the background. And it would largely be people um, around his age playing Fortnite or Minecraft online and they would be sat in their bedroom playing Fortnite or Minecraft online watching somebody else playing it. And these YouTubers would be streaming to you know, 40,000 people at a time, the huge audiences, and they used. Um, we refer to them as YouTubers, but of course they use lots of different platforms to stream games as they play them on. And I thought, well, if if the 17, 18 year olds can do it in their bedroom, surely uh, we've got enough knowledge to recreate that somehow. We can we can borrow that technology um, and see how they're doing it because it must be cheap and it must be robust because the numbers are so good that they're the viewers they're getting the quality looks great it looks like it's been shot in hd um so this must be achievable so i just started there really i went how do you stream on youtube literally start lots of google searches. so this is not new technology it no it's not new technology at all it the process of getting a signal out of a camera into your computer and broadcasting that signal isn't much different from an average Zoom call or an average video conference call, so a webcam on your phone. So all you're doing is you keep scaling up what that web camera is. So that web camera, by the time we do Romantics, is a six-camera shoot with Steve Tanner as director of photography, but it could be somebody holding an iPhone. The process of getting the signal out of that bit of kit into the computer um, is the bit we stole from those sort of from the gaming community, really. So why, the why, 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 as people would say, (laughs) why hasn't it been done before? And why, any other time that my work has been either broadcast or filmed, has there been massive trucks, hundreds of people, huge amounts of technology and rehearsals? What what leap did you make? Well, I think um, that's a really good question. I think it was, there's been a fear of doing it. I think that was the thing. I think... um, for me, because it was born out of necessity, um, I felt we were going to be forgiven for making mistakes. If it was a bit out of focus, if it was a bit wobbly, if it, if it fell off the air, if it was a bit strange, I thought we would buy people's forgiveness because we're trying to do something. So the whole feel 
is a bit more guerrilla TV or pirate radio, which is, of course, where I, my background is in how do you keep something on air. It's a bit like how do you make sure the show keeps happening. Um, so I felt that there'd be an element of forgiveness, which meant it could be a bit more lo-fi, is what I thought when we started, certainly when we started doing the podcast. I thought the worst version of this is we film Emma on an iPhone and we upload that. The best version is, is we make it feel like a little documentary. Um, and we, we sort of landed somewhere between the two for those little podcasts. And then by the time we were doing Lungs, we thought, well, if we can get one camera into Zoom and we've got Matt Smith and Claire Foy on stage, that, that's, that's a great evening to watch. That's a great hour and a half's worth of event to watch. Even if it's a bit juddery or it drops out, all those things, that'll be okay. So I think that the element of it being a bit more lo-fi but then once we started digging into it, we thought, well, there's no reason it needs to look lo-fi. It can look like it's in HD. That just means we need a better camera and we need a better vision mixer and we need to understand stuff. And I think technology um, is coming down in price, as technology always does, and it, it, it arrives at the mass market. So it does mean you can order a really high-quality digital 4K pocket cinema camera from Amazon for you know less than a £1,000, as opposed to three years ago where you might have had to spend £20,000 on that and have spent three years at film school to operate it. So technology coming down, it being more accessible and us being brave enough to think, what have we got to lose? Let's just try it and see what happens. I love it. You're sort of talking about the democratisation of technology and your knowledge and that's what the YouTubers have done. Yeah. So, so... Just before we move on, so and I join up the story. So you end up doing lungs with the old Vic, but mm -hmm. on Zoom. Yeah. Now I don't want to race ahead, but you didn't continue to use Zoom. So tell me what the difference of using that was, why you did it, and why you changed your mind. Well, Zoom. Um, the reason for using Zoom, Matthew was very keen as his experiment at the Vic was. We, suddenly the word Zoom had, had come into everyday language. That's all we were doing. We'd spend all days on the phone and. Whereas we used to be on the phone, we'd be on Zoom and it became a thing in our culture. And I think Matthew wanted to experiment with that. What happened if Zoom, you were looking at the old Vic, an empty auditorium in the old Vic and, and, and these two great actors on stage doing a play? What would that be like? The problem for me was, and, the, and indeed the problem at the Vic was, it's really hard to monetize any of these streams. It's very easy to shoot a show uh, it's not easy to shoot a show, but it's relatively easy to shoot a show, own a video and um, upload it to YouTube and say this is the live stream. Of course it's not live, it's been pre-recorded. Um, and it's also, we then discovered that it was relatively straightforward to broadcast it live on Zoom, like a webcam would. We've just made the webcam fancier. Um, but the whole monetization, the whole way the box office might work, the whole user journey, to me, didn't feel quite the experiment I wanted to do for Wise Children. It works for the Vic because they've learned how to use it and they've worked out how to celebrate it, but it wasn't quite what I wanted. I wanted um, my mum to be able to go onto a website and decide to watch the show, enter her name and email address and put in her payment details and click play and for us to be there. And I wanted it to be easy to do that on your TV or on your laptop or your iPad. I didn't want there to be any technical barriers to watching it sat on your sofa. 
So that's why I moved away from doing it on Zoom. The old Vic have stuck with doing it on Zoom. And it, it, as I say, it works for them. They've, they've ironed out all the problems that, that Zoom has. But I wanted a slightly different experiment and a slightly different experience for our audience. And Si, is it worth saying as well that the old Vic have got a box office? Yeah, which, I mean, that you was... you know, the... functions and they've got, they've got that team. Whereas Wise Children, we're a touring theatre company, we don't have a box office. Yeah, I mean, that was the big shock of it all was they do have their own box office. And they're used to dealing with being a box office, mm. which, of course... We're not. Yeah, right. <laughs> in any way, do we ever really, in a normal world, have to sell a ticket? That's not what we do. So, hold your horses. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> sure, that's it now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, getting back with the timeline, you did this. You were locked upstairs working remotely with the old Vic. Yeah. Now, this was at the time, as anybody who's listened to these podcasts know, I was a little bit absent because my dad had been ill, so I was spending a lot of time nursing my dad. When I got home, you did put me in a cupboard and filmed me a couple of times, but yeah. largely I was not very engaged. And I was aware you were doing this thing and you kept really quiet about it. Mm. You weren't saying this is amazing. You weren't saying I'm learning loads of new skills. You weren't saying this is exciting. You were really quiet. And then when it was on, you said, Em, I think I'd like you to have a look at this. And... As you know, I'm not great at... I was very distracted at the time. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to watch a two-hand play on, on my laptop. Um, but you don't ask me to do much, and I did watch it. And I was really, really surprised by my reaction. And what surprised me was how immediate it felt. And there was something about... I mean, the play was great, the performance were brilliant, but the thing that really cut through to me was the fact that when I looked at Claire Foy's amazing face with tears rolling down it that was happening that was happening somewhere in the planet and uh, not somewhere on the planet in the old Vic and I found that really fizzy and really moving and and actually much more intimate because as we know those of us that sit in the theatre all the time you're normally 200 metres away from an actor so in fact, when Wise Children got filmed, do you remember that um, there's that scene when Grandma Chance died and on the film they're all crying? I never knew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm the director. I never knew they were all actually crying. Yeah. So there's something about a camera being right on a face when you can really see, mm. um, get, get right in, in the way that film does. So I realised very late at that moment that you'd just done something extraordinary with Matthew Waters and with the gang, that something pretty amazing was happening. And very, very late to the party, I said, tell me what you've done, tell me what this means. And that was when you said, we can do this at Wise Children. Yeah. So, and I think... You must talk, because my memory is so bad at that time. Um, and I think I said, because um, lungs were socially distanced. Yeah. The actors did not touch each other or go near each other. Yeah. And I said, it's great, science, it's really exciting, it's amazing, but I cannot see a way that my work could be socially distanced, and I cannot see a way that I'd want to do that. And you said, I think there's a way around it. Yeah, well, I thought, I mean, there was... Uh, to fill in some other gaps, we... We've been busy. I mean, you were dealing with lots of other crises in your life with your dad, and but we'd also been running the school, and we'd also been running our sort of ad hoc radio station and producing content for that. So we were busy, and then the school had come to an end around about the same time that Lungs was happening, and you'd also been. 
I remember you being upset thinking I can never make work again because everybody's got to be socially distanced which was sort of highlighted by lungs I think that was the thing thinking oh no we'll never make it doesn't feel like right now we can never make work again where people can be together because we're all forced to be apart so when the school came to an end you said what do we do next that's when I thought we we could do a show and we could do a show non-socially distanced because that morning on the radio they were talking about football teams coming back and I thought well if football teams have worked out to do it then it must be possible if football teams can play together then it must be possible to get a group of actors on stage and I sort of put those in my mind they were linked together at the same point that I also one of the reasons the liveness works is because it was something that you said which is in post-war people wanted a sense of comfort and familiarity. We were looking at what was popular post-war in terms of cultural, what stories were popular during that time. And it was that notion of coming together and everything felt familiar. So I wanted to go back to that idea of appointments of UTV, that, that sense that a, that a group of people, community people, gather together to watch one thing at a certain time, which is how TV used to be before video or before online or streaming or Netflix. If you wanted to watch Top of the Pops, you had to turn up at 7.30 on a Thursday to watch it. That's how you watched it. So I wanted to read... I felt there was something in that... Whilst we were all stuck together in lockdown, there was something in that that communities or family groups or groups of friends could come together in households to watch something as one unit. At the same time as thinking we should celebrate that idea of, of um, comfort, which is why we went sort of back to variety and RKO imagery and all those things. And of course, that was what was happening socially because we were all watching Boris Johnson do the COVID briefing every night. Yeah. We, we'd, we were going back to an almost... And people were playing games and arranging quizzes. We were yeah. in this sort of strange, nostalgic yeah. mood. And yeah, we were talking about the big musicals, how everybody loved a yeah, big we, musical after the war because it gave you a bit of hope and a bit of joy. And, and I think... So Lung's sort of taught sort of show me well a it proved there was an appetite for something unique happening on screen because i was quite skeptical i thought isn't is theater on tv just poorly shot tv why would anybody be interested in that but the the jeopardy comes from the live performance yeah. that it's happening and, and the beauty and the immediacy and the emotion I, and that's what surprised me and i think and that and that's and i sort of when i realized when i when you saw lungs and enjoyed it and all those other little elements were coming together. That's when I thought, well, this must be durable. And I was surprised. I thought, why hasn't anybody else done this? Why There's loads of other bigger theatre companies that, than us that should try this. But maybe there's something about our size that means that we're able to maybe be a bit braver or move a bit quicker that allows us to do that kind of thing. I keep thinking about what Paul Cruz used to say about knee-high, and I feel the same, which is that... You know, the bigger the organisation, the more like a tanker they are. But we're still a dinghy. We can still yeah. scoot around, you know, whereas a tanker takes a long time to turn around. Yeah. We're really light on our feet. Which brings us on to, we were in this very room. As you say, I was all over the place for lots of reasons. We'd just finished an enormously ambitious summer school. With yeah. how many Zooms did we do? Oh, it was like 150, 160 scheduled Zooms. Unbelievable lattice of teaching, which had gone very well. We were pretty knackered. And in this very room, we Zoomed Poppy and said, how about doing a live performance? And in truth, because this carried on for a while, I think I was really profoundly tired and Mm. as many people were, I don't think I thought it was 
possible. And I thought something would stop us at some point. And I thought the first thing that would happen would Poppy would say, don't be ridiculous. But Poppy, <laughs> I don't think that's what happened. No, because it was a great idea. <laughs> Damn it. I thought it was a great idea immediately. Um, yeah, no, no questions asked. I think I... It must have been while Lungs was on because mm. I think I said, well, can I see it? I want to see what it looks like. And Yeah, it must have been. Must and have then been. the next day that. it was like, well, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. If, if we can. How many performances did Lungs do? Oh, I can't remember. It, it took, because it was all very new, I think we it was done over a period of about three weeks, but I think they probably did five or six performances. I can't remember. So it's pretty quick. The conversations quick. and the emotions were happening pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. So. Yeah, we call Poppy, and she does. You didn't. You didn't ask any questions or put up any barriers. Which, uh, with hindsight, do you think that was wise? I definitely think it was wise. It was a huge <laughs> success. How could it not have been wise? Um, no, I think it was just obviously a really great idea. I think we knew that there were going to be lots of hurdles to get over, um, issues around the rights, all the all the how do we have a non-socially distanced group of actors um I think I think I knew there were going to be lots of questions to be answered but that if we could answer them it was absolutely the right thing to be doing and weirdly I didn't once think about the technology I definitely just trusted that Simon knew what he was doing that those were questions around whether we could technically do it weren't didn't seem to really come into my mind it's interesting, though, looking back, because we didn't actually, we certainly didn't decide immediately which show, because the no. shows that we were talking about were Romantics Anonymous, which was the show that had been cancelled, but was a big, fat musical. Yeah. It was the biggest show that we had. Yeah. Wise Children was off the cards, thankfully, because it was even bigger, I think. Yeah. But also we had had it filmed and it had been being broadcast. Um, but Mallory Towers was sat up in Keswick, so we thought about Mallory Towers. Yeah. Um, and also, I my beautiful show with Nehi, Flying Lovers of Vitebsk, I yeah. knew was there. And we were thinking about all of them. But And lo- I- lots of people tried to persuade us that we should do Flying Lovers of Vitebsk first because it was because it's a two-hander. Um, it made much more sense to give this a try on a smaller show. You know, Romantics has got... 14, 13 people, performers and musicians, yeah. and a technical team of nine or ten. Um, so it was a big, it's a big show, um, and lots of people said, "Why don't you start smaller?" And I think we eventually we sort of talked around all the different shows, and eventually we decided to go with Romantics because because it was very much, or it felt like it was very much ours, Wise Children's, which isn't even right. Of course, there were loads of other people massively involved um and i think at that time we thought potentially we just had one shot of this you know we didn't we didn't know that it was going to be a success so it felt like if we take a risk on something that is a total leap in the dark it might as well be the show that we all that's just sitting and it's been so sad as well because it's been sitting in a trailer it should have been off on tour in america and it was cut short so it felt just really exciting to be able to go back to it and kind of finish the story of romantics i think that was i think it's our covid show isn't it i mean yeah. it was the show that we that that had such hope and such yeah. life and we were so excited for it and then like all the other shows yeah across the world was then just cut short so there was we were breathing life into revisiting it something. felt felt kind of emotionally important yeah and also i i i wanted to do something that felt a bit brazen as well i just felt that We'd, we'd done lungs, and I knew that Matthew was thinking about what what he could do next, and I was very 
aware that, that lots of phone calls were coming in about how do you do it. And I thought, oh no, we're going to see a steady stream of talking heads on black backgrounds now, doing shows on Zoom. Or thought, socially distanced two-handers. Yeah. Or I thought, let's just, we should just do something big and glitzy. And, and it's that thing of, of, of what do people watch after the war? Well, they, musicals were huge. So I felt we should do something with lots of colour and lots of people and celebrate that. So I, I sort of felt we should be a bit brazen about it. It wasn't making life easy for ourselves, though, was it? It wasn't. And I think I started saying, "Okay, we're going to do this, but let's just see whether we clear the hurdles. Mm. So before we get on to COVID, let's talk a little bit, Poppy, about we've got this big idea. We're we're now going to use new technology, pretty much untested, ordered through Amazon in our kitchen. And can I also just say this was I've I've looked at the dates. This was eight weeks before the show happened. (laughs) It was literally eight weeks that we were talking about. Oh, we're having this first conversation. A ridiculous. So eight says we had loads of time. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually, although although I said it's a really good idea, I did say when are we talking about? And Simon was like, I think we we'll probably do it at the start of September, which was a month away. Yeah. And I said absolutely not. And then every and there was I got quite a lot of resistance to that absolutely not. Yeah. And I managed to get it back to eight weeks by sort of lying to everybody about like people's availability and all oh, no, we couldn't possibly do it that soon. <laughs> I know, I can't believe I fell for people's availability. I thought nobody's done anything for months. <laughs> it wasn't, mean, people aren't it wasn't the availability, I think I just said Brislovich is not there's no space in the theatre, they're doing something else. <laughs> Even so, we did it eight weeks later. Yeah. So massively quick turnaround. Um, a big musical, new technology, we go for it. And then, who was it who had the bright idea that we would not only do this, but we'd do it with partners? And why? Tell me about the digital tour and how you had that idea. Well, I was thinking about how we would sell a lot of tickets um, because... It sort of tied into the fact that, you know, we're a touring theatre company, we don't have a box office, we also don't have a massive mailing list. Um, we are the, the business model of touring theatre is that we're kind of the content providers and, and we go out and partner with theatres and take our shows into those theatres and then the theatres are really responsible for selling the tickets, we do our best to help, but it's their box offices and their marketing teams and their massive mailing list that they've built up over, you know, 100 years that the theatre's been operating that sells the tickets. And Wise Children is two and a half years old. We've got a mailing list of, well, I think before this, we had about 5,000 people on it. And we'd never sold a ticket for a show, you know, directly, ever. And so I thought selling enough tickets was a bit of a challenge. And we knew that we could, well, in fact, we had a ridiculous ticket target. We knew that we could cover our costs if we sold 15,000 tickets, which as we were saying it to our board to get it signed off, we kind of all knew was a bit bonkers and we were sort of never going to get there. But I think we thought if we could get to 10,000, seven and a half, something like that, we'd, we'd, we'd have done well. And my feeling was that we would struggle to do that on our own and that we needed some partners. And another thing that's been really sort of devastating about lockdown has been all the all the places we should have been touring to and all the conversations I should have been having with theatres around the world about building relationships and future tours and, you know, our our life is our relationships with festivals and theatres and partners who can present our work for us. Um, and obviously during lockdown we had no nothing to talk to anybody about, no, no connections to make and suddenly here we were going to have this amazing product which could go out to anybody at any part of the world and... 
So it struck me that we had an opportunity to work with all those theatres and they could help us sell our tickets and we could build our relationships with them and hopefully in a year's time, we'll, you know, suddenly bring them a real life show. And so I think I said, I'm going to see if I can find 15 theatres that will help us promote the show and sell tickets for us. And so I wrote to all the people we'd toured to in the past and all the people I was hoping we'd tour to in the future. And it was a list of about 34 Um and I got 34 yeses back. <laughs> uh, nobody said... In fact, that's not true. One person said that they were too busy and they couldn't do it. No theatre said, we don't want to work with you on this. Lots of them said, you know, well, half our staff are furloughed or, oh, I don't know how much we'll be able to do. But all of them said, we really want to be involved in this. This sounds really exciting. And so suddenly we ended up with 34 partner theatres who were all helping us sell tickets. It's amazing, isn't it? It feels like a sort of blockbuster feel-good movie, doesn't it? Because you can feel the momentum behind what should have been an impossible idea. Yeah. And me saying, let's see if we can clear the hurdles. We kept, like, bounding over them. We kept... Yeah. How The fact that you both said, we don't know how to sell a ticket. Suddenly we had 34 people saying, we're going to help you sell a ticket. Yeah. But, of course, with all these things, that comes at a cost. So managing 34 mm-hmm. venues suddenly became... Yeah. a huge job for our tiny company yeah yeah it was a massive job because of course you wanted all of those 34 theatres to feel really involved you wanted them to understand your marketing strategy and get on board with it and add to it and amplify it and that means coordinating a lot of people and getting a lot of content out all the time um so yeah that was a massive job and possibly uh, yeah took up a lot of time and when you say our marketing strategy that is you and Simon. Oh yeah. There's no. There's yeah. nobody else. Oh, oh yeah, filling a drop. I mean, our marketing team. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, that's drink what, us in. <laughs> I mean, by this point, Simon was. You two were coming up with a marketing policy. Simon was making the digital content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, marketing the show, um, and buying the kit for the broadcast. I mean, we were. It, we were working. It was like a cottage industry, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, the thing we. The thing that I hadn't factored in at all until we put the show on sales is that we were the box office and I sort of knew that we were selling the tickets but in my head that's where that stopped and started really is that we'll we sell the ticket there's nothing else to do but of course you then forget that pretty much at least for every 10 tickets you sell four people are going to come back with a question about their ticket <laughs> and I really hadn't factored that in especially and I, these were coming back to you. And they were they, coming so. back to me. And they were coming back to me at my personal email address due to a fantastic bit of um, sort of setup that I'd done with our ticketing company, Ticket Co. Um, and I, it suddenly dawned on me. I thought, Oh no, we are. We're literally the box office. We are dealing with. I don't know why you're saying the word we, Si. <laughs> well, I'd like to include you all. <laughs> I didn't answer one stroppy question. No, you didn't answer one. And then I, and then I was a bit obviously because it is just. You know, Wise Children's tiny, it's it's us three and there was, you know, Steph and Jenny and the rest of our team. But it's tiny. So but when I think when people were writing in, I think they thought they were dealing with some big corporation or call centre somewhere on the other side of the world. So we got was, a lot of a lot of nice comments about our customer services actually. I bet you they're not the ones I dealt with. <laughs> I think they're the ones Steph dealt with. I was saying at one point, we've got to get Simon away from the public face. Simon should not be customer facing. But that was the joke throughout the whole thing, wasn't it, Si? I kept saying the toilets needed cleaning because you were doing everything. At one point, it felt like you were manning the phones, 
getting the actual stream done. You were doing the vision mixing and the sound design. I mean, it was ludicrous. Yeah, I forgot about the sound design as well until we loaded the show in and realised <laughs> I was doing that. Charlie, poor Charlie said to me, is it sounding all right? I thought, oh God, that's me, isn't it? I'm supposed to do that. <laughs> we're um, still getting ahead of ourselves. Tell me about Ticket Co. Um, well, we, or I don't know, after the Zoom experiment for Matthew, we, I, I, I needed a different thing. I needed a different platform. And there's really two problems with live streaming. Once you've got your capture, so on the end of a cable, you've got your audio and you've got your vision. And then you need to get that into your computer and sent somewhere. Um, and then you need to deploy whatever you've sent to everybody's computers or and the traditional way of doing that might be to use a streaming service like YouTube or Facebook Live or Twitch um, and as I said before they're really hard to monetize it's impossible to put a paywall around those kind of things so I was looking for a way to do it and I went originally went to all the pay-per-view TV companies that do all the sports and um, you know there's big live events you know the big fight or the big British motocross or something that you pay and watch as you go. I thought, well, that's a similar model. But none of them, none of the big companies were either really interested in talking to a small Tim Pot theatre company like us. They weren't that interested in <laughs> selling 8,000 tickets. Um, they sort of selling 100,000 plus, you know, so that didn't feel like a way to go. And then, so I, I just kept hunting and digging away I thought maybe we could build our own thing using Vimeo or YouTube or but I also really wanted people to be able to watch it on their TV I was fed up of looking at my laptop so I felt everybody else must be sick of watching it on theirs um, so I wanted to make that a bit easier and then I found this tiny company who I think are based in Norway who had just met they were a ticketing company for for live events had just launched this thing called Ticket Co TV and it just felt too good to be true. Here was a box office, which was dead simple to use. It was pay-as-you-go for us as the as the user that you could um, go online, click and buy a ticket and put in your email address. And they sent you a, an email and a text message with how to watch. And the key thing about it was, is it was protected. You know, you couldn't just share the link with your mates. Suddenly you sell one ticket, but 30 people might be having it. Or suddenly it appears on, on social media and now everybody can watch it for free. We, we needed to protect our income a little bit to make it financially viable and you need to be able to protect it to make sure people can't just download it and re-upload it and all of those things and Ticket Co offered us that experience and I literally rang them up and was delighted to be met by a bloke called David Kenny who's the UK uh, manager and we had another Zoom conversation and he showed me how the site worked and um, we built a demo site really I mean, in the morning, really. We've been, and they've been fantastic partners, been haven't they? Absolutely brilliant. It just works. And the clever thing is, is what they've done is they've they've combined streaming with box office in a way that nobody else yet has. And it's really what sets them apart. So lots of other solutions at the moment are existing box offices, then looking for ways you can take more commercial streams like Vimeo and inject it somehow into a theatre's website and somehow monetize that but it's not a great it's technically not a very clever solution I don't personally I don't think but it's not a great user experience um, and what we were keen to do was remove all the barriers to watching so ticket code of an app you can download on your Apple 
TV, they've got an Android one. So you, it's really simple to watch it on your telly. And that's what I wanted. I wanted romantics to be on a big screen. And there's mm. nothing better than seeing social media images with people showing us yeah. our show in their front room. It's yeah. just sort of brilliant. It's really magic. And the more we could move away from it being a thing on your phone or your laptop and on a big screen, I sort of wanted. So all these hurdles, we were clearing them. And Ticketco mm. was a big clear because as I say they've ended up being great partners and I look forward to working with them again and Poppy had got our 34 partners so we suddenly had a much bigger mailing list than we could have dreamt of and your Amazon parcels kept arriving so the technology was coming together which leads us on to this big looming hurdle which in truth was the one that I thought we would never clear which is Covid and speaking personally it it's terrifying I think you know we're so used to thinking that anything's possible and well something I say all the time is what's the worst that can happen and it's a it's almost a joke isn't it I Mm. say what's the worst that can happen if nobody's going to die let's do it and we're suddenly in this place (laughs) when what's the worst that could happen somebody could die yeah and that as we cleared every other hurdle there was this coming towards us and that really fell on your shoulders, Poppy, and Kath Bates, our production manager and health and safety officer. So talk me through what you and Kath did to make this possible and what that felt like. Well, there, there are sort of two parts of the, the COVID issue. First one, less less exciting or less dramatic. First one being that you just might have to pull the whole show. Um, so the fact that... that we could have gone into lockdown or, or you know, think the, the global situation, the, the country situation could have changed and we could suddenly have, public health could suddenly have shut Bristolovic Theatre down without us even being able to do a show was one of the things that we that we had to face. And, you know, no one would ensure this production in the way, or any, any work at the moment in the way that they're used to. Um, so we had to sort of weigh up the financial issues of that. And we did that by uh, two of our donors, our existing donors who kind of amazingly stepped up and offered to cover the costs if we were forced to cancel because of covid um which was just an amazing kind of display of confidence and and belief in us um and then yeah the the sort of really big question of how do we make this safe for people and that involved hours and hours of work to create a covid safe plan like simon says based on elite sport although that whenever we say that that sort of makes me laugh a little bit because i kind of imagine the resources and the budget that elite sport have which probably (laughs) includes like many doctors who are actually on staff reams of lawyers yeah Yeah. the word elite is making me laugh at this point (laughs) because it's still just the three of us really tim pot jenny steph and kath now yeah yeah (laughs) Um, I mean, the thing that was difficult was that kind of medical opinion was changing all the time. So, so one week you thought you'd found the you thought you'd found the kind of perfect balance between testing, isolating, um, what what kinds of tests you thought were going to be perfect, and where where they were available and how much they cost. Um, the, the fact was there was there is no way of eliminating all risk well, that, and yes. that is what you and Kath were looking in the eye every day wasn't yes. it yes and the other thing that was really sort of difficult to get your head round was there were all these guidelines being published all the time all this guidance being published all the time that guidance kept changing 
that guidance was never there was never any specific guidance for the the scenario that we were trying to work out of course there wasn't because it was so niche and no one would have bothered to and none of the guidance was law either so when you actually sort of talk to anyone in public health they'd say well i mean you know between you and me you can really do what you like because it's not none of this is legal so we could have done the show we could have so what we did was form a bubble of the 23 actors and stage managers and backstage staff who really couldn't avoid being closer than one meter with each other and couldn't wear masks so the dressers backstage they actually did wear masks but they obviously had to get really close to the actors while they were helping them do their quick changes and the actors the musicians they were they were singing they were dancing they were kissing um and so clearly they couldn't socially distance it would have we we could have formed that bubble by just getting them all to bristol and then on the morning of the first day saying right you're in a bubble now um which is how bubbles in schools are working. You know, a, a year six bubble is not really a bubble. Um, but we we decided that our bubble would all have isolated before they came together. They, they would test at the beginning of the, uh, their isolation period, then they would isolate, then they would travel to Bristol in private vehicles, so not risking getting on public transport. And from the point they arrived in Bristol, they were all staying in the same apartments, close to the theatre, and they didn't really go anywhere apart from the theatre and their apartments. And of course, the theatre and their apartments, we also made absolutely COVID safe by cleaning everything all the time. One-way systems, sanitisation stations. We were pretty, practically bathed in hand sanitizer yeah. the entire time. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is, I there was a bit where we were planning it all and I thought, oh, this is going to... It's not going to be any fun. It's going to be like making theatre in an ICU or something. And, you know, everyone's just going to be so overburdened by rules and restrictions that it'll all be really miserable. And it, And it absolutely wasn't. By the time you all got there and were making the work, it was joyful. I know, actors are great because we got pretty weighed down by the responsibility of the whole event. I think to actually, as you say, in in a place where there was no certainty and no law, to actually take responsibility for the health of people that we knew and loved. And of course, like any other group of 23 people, there were different health issues in that group. So suddenly, yeah. you know, the 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 rabbit hole of what ifs yeah. was really, really terrifying and very, very frightening. And I certainly had moments where I just thought, please, God, let something happen that means we can call this. Yeah. Something that is out of our control. It's when you want something to come from above right. to just say... Right, down. Yeah. If, if they just lock down, then we won't have to do this. We won't have to, we won't have to take this decision um but actors are bloody marvelous because they turned up and certainly our team by that point were wound like tops i mean everybody was like coiled springs terrified of touching anything we were sanitized from head to toe i was socially distanced because i didn't have to be in the bubble you know and keeping my distance and they were just great they were like we've isolated we're taking it really seriously but we're gonna really enjoy each other yeah and there was not a single raised voice in that whole rehearsal tech or performance there wasn't even any stress I, I think it was possibly the most relaxed positive room 
I've ever been in and I think it was because all our demons were outside yeah you know in when you make theatre demons pop up from everywhere you know whether it's fear it's usually fear you know and and you know it's a people are being asked to do extraordinary things so without doubt there's stresses in attack there was none on this yeah the actors were just so with us the whole way and I yeah. think there was a fear that they might not obey the rules and we can just put that aside never yeah. has a group of people taken something so gently seriously yeah um and they they taught us they certainly taught me how to sort of trust and have pleasure again you know it was really really amazing this one's really so it's hard to explain no i know it's sort of well mm. right i can't quite describe it it's like something oh Right there on the tip of my tongue I mean Some things are too good for words Gosh, that flavour's just Yes, but not right away No, you're right It's far more subtle at first Slowly teasing and tempting A seductive foreplay Till it blows in one orgasmic burst That is Some things are too good for words no language can capture that silky smooth rapture It's such elegant exact It's so satisfying, you're suddenly flying Wrapped up inside that sensual caress Got that apricot feeling's absolutely sublime If you think it's good already, just wait the thing about chocolate is it often takes time for the flavours all to penetrate. I mean, get inside! Some things are too good for words. You're swirling and mingling, your senses are tingling, in complete euphoric bliss. You're desperate to savour each decadent flavour in buttercup or truffle. Don't you think it's amazing how you never quite know With a thing that starts out so sweet and small True, the tiniest flavour, well it sometimes can grow As you feel all your defences fall I mean, that is So we did, um, we we got them there. We got a COVID plan. Mm -hmm. We got them there. Um, it's worth saying, isn't it, that there were, we worked with Bristol Old Vic mm -hmm. and that Simon and Kath and Poppy, you worked hard. The set went up in much slower stages because we were trying to keep all the different teams apart. So again, in these short eight weeks, the organisation was colossal. The, just working out who was entering the building when, making sure that everything was sanitised and cleaned before the next... So this, the, the load-in, as we call it, was much slower, wasn't it? Yeah, we, I mean, Kath had come up with a way where normally everybody's over the top of everybody else, so sound, lighting, scenic, <coughs> stage management, wardrobe, everybody's working on the same day. And Kath actually spread the load-in out into... I mean, you, normally you haven't got the time to do it or the 
you certainly can't usually afford to do it. Um, so the, the set were coming first, that was one team, and then lighting would come in and do their stuff, and that was another team, and then sound would. So everybody had their own space to work in the auditorium and on stage. So everything was much more tightly scheduled into, into little teams that then couldn't cross over with each other. So the loading team at the dock were a different team to the people that put, actually physically put the set up. So there was a huge amount of people involved in it. Um, and again, you keep hitting hurdles. Bristol of it couldn't been open as a venue for a long time, and therefore a lot of its maintenance probably wasn't quite up. So you, you, you're now looking at a theatre where um, we were working with Bristol to get their theatre back online, as it were, as at the same time as we're trying to load in a whole new show. So there were lots of little hurdles within that. But certainly team-wise, everything was split up and separate until we got into tech. And then we can probably fast forward because the tech was the most ordinary bit. We teched the show, didn't we? Yeah. And the, the brilliant thing about tech is it kind of is, by the time the bubble are on stage and the technical team are in the auditorium, we were all socially distanced. We were wearing masks and two metres apart. So yeah. that was pretty easy, wasn't it? And yeah. I we, mean, that wasn't that much different from a regular No, it auditorium. didn't feel much different. We all got used to not banging into each other. Mm. Um but it felt pretty normal by then and it was pretty joyful. Um, and then we started live broadcasting. And my big memory is that the first show went really smoothly. It was as if there were, as if this was easy. Yeah. Um, it went really well, didn't it? Classic. <laughs> because, <laughs> cut two, was it, was it show two? Um, yeah. Yeah. Because the no, first show... No, show three. Show three. Show, oh, so the second show was also, was we also great. We did two clean shows. Now, they weren't clean artistically because we were literally live editing the camera. Yeah. So there was we knew there was a way to go, but we were thinking, look at this, mm. easy, easy. And then we got to show three and we had a problem, didn't we, Si? We couldn't yeah. go up. What happened? Um, well, it's hard to know what happened. It, one of the things about um, live streaming is, is you can see the stream leaving us and it all looked fine it was hitting we actually streamed to this boring we streamed to amazon servers and we could see it literally sat on the amazon server and it all looked fine but it wasn't deploying out to people's however they were choosing to watch it whether it was on their laptop or on their computer or on their telly and in fact it was claire reddington a chair of our board and chief exec of the watershed um sent me a text say sign this screen's back <laughs> I thought, oh, no, don't you start, Claire. It's just another person <laughs> texting me with a problem with their browser. And then I said to Jay, my assistant, I said, just, just check it on Chrome and just see if this is working, because we were monitoring it on a different thing. And Jay said, no, it's completely blank. And then we started checking as many other forms as we had in the auditorium, like whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone, to see what the problem was. And we weren't, we realised very quickly, we weren't slowly, one by one, each version of the platform was going down. <laughs> we could not work out what was going on. Um, and and it's very scary because at that point you feel very alone. Normally with a problem on a show stop, certainly, you know, what I do as a sound designer, um, you're very experienced to know how to get around a problem. You, you you know, oh, we need to do that or cut that or patch around this. or And you can be very clear. You can say, we need to hold for 10 minutes or actually we, we should just go and we'll fix it as we go you, you, you're in control you know what's going to happen there's, there's very few problems you haven't come across before and most people in technical theatre are like that um, but we just didn't know it was beyond our control and that was what was frightening um, so two things happened at that point I thought well we have to get the show back somehow we have to get back on air in that pirate radio way how can we get back on air and I thought we could divert the stream 
to YouTube and we could stream it to YouTube and we could contact everybody that's supposed to be watching it, social media, email, and say, here's a link, watch it on this. And as we were setting that up, Ticket Co rang and said, we know what the problem is. Because unbeknown to me, they were monitoring our feed and were watching what was going on. And their support engineer, Darren, who was on call that night, rang me and Jay answered and they said, just restart the stream, we know what it is. And then we didn't, at that point, didn't get into what had happened or what had gone wrong. Again, Ticket Co were amazing, weren't they? That yeah, they were they there were so and watching. Funny. Well, fortunately, was... the CEO of Ticket Co had decided to watch that <laughs> night with his family. <laughs> so, so he was sitting down to a blank screen, wondering what had happened to his platform. But as a sort of adrenaline junkie who has devoted her life to be to the live experience and making mm. shows, it was so exciting in that auditorium. Mm. And of course, there's no audience. So it was us, there's a technical team. We had Ginny and Steph, our administrative team at the back, who were emailing like frantically emailing everybody that had bought a ticket Ginny was tweeting her thumbs going away saying bear with us we've Mm. um in the same room as us you were running up and down I mean talking about it was like the starship enterprise wasn't it that's what I kept saying and you were Captain Kirk Jay was Captain was Spark I can't hold him Captain I was I I had nothing to do apart from every now and again say anything I can do to help which was of course <laughs> literally nothing didn't even understand the the yeah. question but the, the room was so calm and so ready and watching people sort of at the top of their game and I, my memory is I said to you Simon what are our what are our what can we do? What are our options? And you said, I think there's two options. One is stable, but slow. And one I could do fast, but it might be unstable. And I said, let's go stable and slow. How long are you talking? And you said, I've just got to build a website. <laughs> that yeah. was my favourite, favourite Jay's favourite moment. <laughs> well, we needed, if we were going to stream on YouTube, which we knew would work, but we thought, well, we can't just send a YouTube. We're going to have to... In- embed it in something so we thought well we just have to get the wise children digital website to and quickly re-engineer it to and whilst that was going on we were on the phone to ticket code so we didn't actually need that solution we, we reverted back to the other solution so we solved that program that problem yeah we went on it was a great show we thought that's it that's our gremlin yeah, and we rounded into the end of the week the saturday show which was late it was a nine o'clock start yeah um because we were um aiming at our american audience mm-hmm. all looking forward nailing it certainly us on the camera team were thinking we were really going to nail this show because yeah. it was time started all looking great and we were about 20 minutes in when our phone started going 15 no, minutes it 20, wasn't 20 minutes. minutes it was five minutes in it wasn't that bad it would have been worse if it was 20 minutes in okay yes. five. It, was, it, was, it was five it minutes longer. in Oh yeah, because you got uh, you did a really loud walk out of the auditorium with the door slam and I was like Poppy what's going on I, and it I was wonder the, who it was <laughs> Is it Claire? <laughs> yeah, it was Claire Edmonton. <laughs> Saying that the sound was out of sync yeah. with yeah. the image yeah. in America. Yeah. And in England. I think everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. But it everywhere. was only five minutes because we then stopped and restarted the whole show. We and did. it wasn't it wasn't that bad, whereas twenty minutes would have felt a bit more painful to mm. Well, we stopped and Well we had to do a show stop, which of course was live. Yeah. And that was really funny. I was really worried as well because I was looking at the wrong camera... I was looking at the wrong feed. And Mm. when you did the show stop, you got up and stood in front of the stage and put your arms up and then spoke to camera and explained what was happening. But I was looking at a camera where all anyone could see was just the tips of your fingers. And I was like, (laughs) no one knows what's happening because all they've seen is Emma just like waggling a little bit. (laughs) Anyway, but that wasn't wasn't what happened. Well, or whatever. I mean, it was just so hilarious to be 
show-stopping a show for no audience. And, of course, the lovely actors who were sort of... were just thinking, perhaps Emma's gone mad. So they were sort of glancing through the corners of their eyes, like, what do we do? And I'm, I'm shouting, really, really, you've got to stop. Um, and 17 minutes was the stop. And that was, I don't know, it's the dark arts. I, I don't know what you did. But you managed to retune the system so yeah. that the sound and vision were listen to me i can't even string the simple words together the, the what thing, did you do well the the sound well this is boring but i'll explain it for people at home they can fast forward <laughs> is that when you're live streaming the the video content and audio content are actually separate for quite a long time they don't get bonded together until after the stream leaves us um but we could see it drifting and it's a problem in live streaming in that sound naturally takes a lot doesn't take as long to process so it often happens before the picture does and it happens on people's tvs all the time at home um and the problem with live streaming is that time difference is dynamic so it can shift around and normally it shifts around to such a small degree you often can't notice it um and it, it doesn't actually have to shift too much further you're talking about it, it had only gone out by about eight to ten milliseconds so it hadn't gone out by very much, but that's enough for it to be incredibly distracting to somebody. Mm. Um, in theatre, we tend to correct around about two milliseconds because you can tell two milliseconds of time difference is what people would perceive as an echo if you were hearing two sources two milliseconds apart. So we were eight to ten milliseconds out, I think, maybe a bit longer at times. Um, and I couldn't work out how to correct it. And we couldn't work out what was causing it. We have since worked out what caused it. Um, so we did lots of... Uh, restarting and reset the stream thought it was that and then there, there were a number of things we went through and then I sent Jay to the back of the auditorium my poor assistant and we were just going to correct the time manually which is something you can do you can you can <laughs> manually delay time so he watched the stream and delayed as we went and just kept lining it back up did you just say you can you can manually delay time I can I like manually that. delay time <laughs> Just hold it back. <laughs> it My is a thing. head is spinning. So, uh, which is what we did to get it back. And then we, we've sort of since worked out what we think that problem what's, am- what's amazing, it was like, now I'm onto Apollo 11. It's all about space in my head. Um, but it was, no, not 11, Apollo 13. No, blow up. I know, don't, 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 don't mention Apollo. But we were down to sticky tape and Yeah, we were. Lollipop at that sticks. point we were. And, it was and people were loving it. On, I mean, obviously there was all the bit where everyone was saying, this isn't good, it's out of sync, what are you going to do? Then we stopped and suddenly the, the all the messages on social media and email were, this is so exciting, it's a real show stop, oh my God, it's really, really live. Um, and it sort of became quite fun. I think it was. I think it was probably the most <laughs> successful show we did because people knew. I mean, yeah. everybody loves a show, show stop. Yeah. yeah. And this, I don't think anybody quite believed when you're watching your telly that's going to happen. And it no. did, like you say, a crazy lady waved her hands <laughs> in the air, whether they saw my fingers or my head, I don't know. But yeah. um, And we stopped the show. And we had a drink that well, we'd had a drink after every show, didn't we? The actors would sit on stage with a beer and the tech team would all be very polite. Um, and we'd sort of chat across our two meters around the auditorium um divide and then go back to our cleansed bubble accommodation Mm. and then we did our final live show but there's nothing to say about this on this agonizingly long podcast because the live show was like a live show which is something we all all knew but i just wanted to take a moment go on poppy she's got well i've got a question for you i know we've been talking for quite a long time but i want to know what it was like for you 
direct because you were the camera director and you'd never done that before well I I love the fact you say I was a camera director I sort of started thinking I would be but Steve Tanner who's been photographing my work for almost 30 years now um was actually the director of photography and Simon was mixing it um but I was on headphones and we were talking really intimately it was so exciting I mean that's all I can say is I I don't think I've felt you know you don't notice yourself getting jaded or getting stuck in your ways but what you do notice is when you're kicked out of your ways Mm. um cans is when you're on headphones and you're listening to other people in the room and as a director I never wore cans I'd always be talking to the um, stage manager and the actors but I was on cans on headphones talking really intimately um, with everybody saying line up on this get that shot go I'd sometimes count you in with music because I'd know the score slightly better just counting in and it just felt like a real live it was improvised. We knew what we were aiming for, but we were still improvising. So sometimes Steve would say, I haven't got the shots, I, and I'd go, go to Natasha yeah. or go to Helen. So it was just thrilling. And, you know, it can be quite lonely being a director. You can sit in the auditorium and play solitaire quite a lot while people solve problems. But I felt bang in the centre of it. Yeah. Um, and we felt like we were flying. I'm saying it again, is I felt like there was nothing in front of us. Um that we were just shooting forwards and it was really exhilarating. And and we sort of fell off a couple of times, but Cy and the team managed to get us back on board, you know, so it, it was it was really amazing. So it was stupid, it was crazy, we did it so fast, but we, we managed it. And I think at the end of it, it was such a happy company that was so grateful to have been able to do what they do best and Mm. to be in a room with other people and to share a beer at the end of the night Mm. and feel that you'd been part of something it was really moving and I said to the board on the Monday before we started broadcasting I'm going to call the company down we're exhausted we're shattered we're going to really cool down our output now and let everybody recover and by the end of it I was saying we're going to do another one and we're going to do it really soon (laughs) it feels like we have to move fast it feels like The world is changing so fast that we just have to keep seizing the moment because you never know when it's going to be gone and you never know when the story's going to change. And it was it was addictive. I want to do it again. I want to do it better. I want to do it again. And we are. And I'm sorry. And I'm not sorry. (laughs) Thanks, you two. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Em. And serious, I do have to say that it was, you know, Simon, your innovation and dedication were absolutely the heart of this and I know it because I've had to prise you away from the computer at midnight for weeks and weeks and weeks on end saying you need to get some sleep and Poppy your tenacity of making this possible and of bringing our friends with us in different theatres and the company and the technical teams so it's easy for me to put some headphones on and feel like I'm part of a team but you two are my absolute superheroes Oh. Thank you. Teary now. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Should we play a record now? Where <laughs> to begin? Uh, let's see. I'm somewhat reserved. I can't tell you why. You say emotif. Well, I'm shy. I'm not good with words. I'm just not equipped. Perhaps I'm afraid 
And so I stayed tight-lipped But I could be something to see If she loved me In matters of love I'm sure you all know I'm burning up I can't let it show This woman I found So gifted and smart And I want to try To open up my heart Oh, what a romantic I'd be If she loved me I'm not a man who women feel secure about I'm not intuitive or clever But if there's one thing that I'm sure about It's that we could make chocolate forever And so, Angelique if I may reveal, for you, I will try to face these things I feel. Yes, what a romantic 